Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of Analyzing Everton with me, David Hughes, and of course, Josh Williams, aka at Distance Covered. Oh, hi Josh. Doing okay mate, I'm glad that we've pushed this pod back to Friday, just to give me a few more days to get over the game. <laughs> yeah, also just to let the, um, the post-Arby yeah. toxicity go as well, I think. Uh, <laughs> there's certainly been a lot of it over the last few days and... We've said early in the week it doesn't really do much for us, that does it, and we talk about both teams and try and be quite objective when we do. So I uh, I echo that sentiment. I'm glad that we're recording on a Friday morning. Um, obviously, we'll be rewinding in terms of what we discuss on the show to, to last Saturday lunchtime when it was, of course, the Merseyside derby. Uh, two old two draw, but it was a... It was definitely a wild game. Um, we'll, we'll dissect that shortly, and then we'll have a chat about some, not not something that we normally do, but I think it does impact things on the pitch. We'll be talking about Everton injuries because you know there's a few big ones ahead of the game this weekend that could massively imp- impact the side. Um, so we'll be looking at that, and then and then we'll finish by having a chat about Southampton. Um, that's Everton's next league league game, and it's Sunday two o'clock. I'm pretty sure. Um, so yeah, another another tough game, but we'll we'll start with the derby, Josh. Two all draw. Um, lots to discuss in it. Um, but let's just look at it from an Everton point of view for now. Um, was it a good result given the circumstances? I.e., you know, question, questionable decisions from officials, and of course, in my opinion, at least Liverpool playing really well on the day. Yeah, I think you just summed it up there, really. I think it was it was a competitive Everton performance, certainly. Um, but when you when you look at Liverpool's Liverpool's performance, they, they were firmly back to. I think we we expected a response, didn't we? And I think we got it. Liverpool took doubly amounts of shots that Everton took twenty two against Everton's eleven. Obviously, there was a few a few moments in the game, let's say, whereby Everton could have got done a little bit harder by the referee. Uh, it didn't happen, so I think to get away from the game. Such a polite way to pull it. <laughs> <laughs> diplomatic, please. Yeah, diplomatic. That's, that's think, the best uh, attempt. Yeah, but I think to, to get away with it, I mean, when I say get away with it, it, it was a competitive game, as I said, but I do think that if we're looking at the performance side of things, which we do on this podcast, I think Liverpool probably deserved three points more than Everton did. Um. I think understat code this actually so I haven't actually looked at this, so I'm gonna look at it now while we're recording to back me up, hopefully. So according to understat, based on the chances of both teams, Liverpool had have a sixty four percent chance of winning the game, twenty percent chance of a draw, sixteen percent chance of an Everton win. That's kind of how I got it in my head as well, really. I think mm-hmm. that's that's a fair representation of 
how the game went in terms of the performance side. So, yeah, hopefully I've been fair with that one. No, there. I think you have. Um, that is pretty much how, how I would summarise the game, I thought. Liverpool seemed really motivated. Um, started very dominant. You know, I thought the, the, the first goal that they scored was constructed really well. Couldn't really pick too many holes in Evans defending. I know Seamus Coleman... You know, get to receive a cheeky Meg, sadly. <laughs> um, but I just thought it was a really good constructed goal. And I was a little bit worried at that point because Everton didn't really look on the same level. You know, then we have the uh, the Van Dijk incident. I do think that that injury upset Liverpool's rhythm ever so slightly and it did allow Everton to come back into the game. Then, of course, they, they scored at a good time, you know, making use of a set piece as well, which was, which was really good to see because... Um, sometimes they're important to get yourself back into the game and to get crucial goals, and that was a crucial goal. But you know, you, you talk about some of the numbers there. Let's let's quickly run through them now to try and reaffirm why, you know, why we're, why we're saying that the Bull probably did deserve to to get the win on the day. Um, XG as it is, one point three for Everton. I'm pretty sure it was yeah, two point two for Liverpool. Liverpool had twenty two shots to Everton's eleven. Um, and they had more of the ball as well. I think it was around maybe 57% possession. Uh, I, I thought Liverpool looked really sharp, to be honest, throughout the uh, throughout the game. But what I will say is Everton remained competitive and, and I thought dangerous throughout. Um, I was really impressed that they come from behind twice because that's not normally something I'd associate with an Everton team in a Merseyside derby. You know, the, the, the heads normally drop very quickly. Had a quick look afterwards, and it was the first time since 2013 the uh, three all Goodison draw where Lukaku scores. Uh, I think Storage scored late on. It was the first time since that game that uh, Everton have conceded two or more goals and still picked up a result against Liverpool. So I said there was, there was plenty of positives, and sometimes you, you will when you come up against the best sides, and Liverpool are under that bracket. You know, you're not always going to be the best performance side on the day, I think. No matter how it comes, whether it be from decent goals or a little bit of luck, um, it's important to get results, and obviously that's what Everton did. Yeah, I mean it's it's the way in which the match went in terms of Liverpool getting really punished twice by um, you know a set piece, Michael Keane and obviously Dominic Calvert Lewin in the game. It, it it was quite clinical, really, and if you look at the the shot map, I think we painted Everton before the game as, as the type of team to not really accumulate too many shots during the game, but but they do manage to accumulate quite clear-cut shots. Mm. Um, if you look at the shot map, Everton, as I said, they had about 11, I think. But about about three of them, maybe four of them even, were in and around the, the, the six-yard box, really. I think Charleston hit the post. Obviously, the two goals that ended up going in were quite close range, even though they were headers. Hmm. Um, so I think Everton stayed stayed quite true to what we painted them as, albeit was slightly less dominant in terms of seeing the ball. But even that, we expected a little bit. I mentioned the books Everton having to play on account for the tackle a little bit more, hmm. um, and I think they did. I think they looked a bit dangerous in certain moments as well, even without getting shots away. They did get behind the good line quite a bit. Hmm. Uh, I thought Calvert-Lewin was was outstanding in, in the way he held the ball up, the way he allowed, the, allowed Everton to move up the field by holding the ball up as all-round play. 
thought he was really good. Mm. Um, as I said, I do, I do think Liverpool deserve, deserve the win. But I don't think we can have many complaints at the same time that Everton managed to get us all out of it because uh, I think Everton made the most of what they were, were allowed to use. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, I mean, just as a side point, really quickly, it must have been a fantastic game for a neutral. You know, neither of us were neutrals. I don't think anybody listening was a neutral, but you know, it, it was a game that had everything. And said so sometimes you've got to hang in, in in those games and try and get something out of it, which Everton have done. Um, and now you're, you're looking at them still thinking, you know, still top of the league, um, most points accumulated, and you've played Liverpool at home and top them away. Uh, so you played two of the the best better sides in the in the division. So you know it's it, it looks good on paper, shall we say? But we'll we'll kind of scratch beyond the surface and have a look at some of the kind of key key talking points from the game. Now we won't we're not going to um, go into the intricacies of you know whether Van Dyke's uh, injury was intentional by Pickford and all that because you know we just we don't get into that kind of stuff on this show. It's not really what we do. You can go and listen to many different arguments about that elsewhere, but we'll just try and stick to the football side of things. Um, but we will talk about Pickford because it was very much, Josh, um, the good and bad of Pickford all in one game, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, 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 I've said a few times to you, haven't I? It, it did sum, sum him up as a player, really. Mm. Um, I think he was too quite... Well, I wouldn't say miraculous. I wouldn't say miraculous, but he was he was two quite dramatic saves, let's say, hmm. um, whereby he, he he stands up and maybe maybe a few keepers left those in. Pickford managed to get his hand to his reflexes have always been, you know, unquestionably good. Hmm. But at the same time, you you have to couple that with two moments whereby he single handedly can can cost Everton. A result, uh, you know, all all the points really. You know, you think of the Van Dyke thing, where he, he the, the scorpion kick thing that he does, um, and in the last moment of the game when he concedes to Henderson, you know, th- those big reflex saves from long distance free kicks or whatever, they become redundant if if you concede sloppy goals like that, whereby the Henderson shot rolls over Pickford's hand. Mm. You know, they, they, they cancel each other out sort of thing. And he always has been 50-50 in, in both of those departments for me, Pickford. Um, yeah. This was one of those games. Thankfully, the, the referee allowed the light to be, yeah, the spotlight to be placed on, on the positives that he brought in the game rather than the negatives, which I'm mm. sure would have been a bit more of the focus if if one of those two decisions was given against them. But, um, yeah, I think it summed them up, really. Yeah. I um I'll start with the positives. I thought I was impressed with the free kick save. I know I think it if it I think it was Trent Alexander Arnold in the first half. You know, I thought it was a in many ways to some it was a routine save, but I think Pickford does a lot lot of good work with his feet before that to make it quite routine. I thought the massive save was save was a really good save because I touched on this in another show earlier in the week, but I did catch some of um Rob Green's analysis on Sky Sports through the week, um, and it was it was really good. And he, he he kind of ran through both Pickford's save from Matip and also Michael Keane's goal um, and the movements and kind of preparation from Adrian leading up to that. 
And what Pickford done really well was he, um, as the cross is coming in, he retreats to his line very quickly and makes, I think he calls out away, signaling that he's not coming for it. So the defence needs to clear the lines. He's then on his line at the point of Matip rising up to, to get the header. Um, and because his feet are firmly planted and he's positioned and ready, you know, we can obviously get that spring to to get get the save and parry it, parry it away. Where there's Adrian, um, I think he's he's messing around with Andre Gomez as the ball's coming in. He's still off his line by a few yards at the point of uh, Michael Keane rising up to meet the header. He then starts retreating at that point to his line. Um, but because he's still in a moving action as Michael Keane connects with the ball, um, his feet aren't planted. Uh, and it, it makes it really difficult for him to kind of get that momentum and that push to raise his arms and, you know, clamber the ball away. And that's why he kind of, his arms are there or thereabouts, but he concedes a goal that doesn't look that good on his part. So, as I said, I was really, I was impressed with that save by Pickford. Uh, but then the issues, as you alluded to just then, was you look at that, that Van Dyke incident, and whilst I don't believe it was malicious, it was extremely reckless. And in another game, that's potentially a red card and a penalty. Thank, thankfully for Everton, he, he doesn't get either. Um, but had had that happened, you, you're looking two 0 down after ten minutes and down to ten men, and that's the game done. You know, it could end up being a bit of a bit of a hammer in there, and then. You know, at the at the very under end of the scale, the last kick of the game. Um, yeah, that that Henderson one where he just seems to almost over egg his dive a little bit, and he his arm almost goes too far, um, which is why he ends up he ends up saving it almost with his wrist, I think. Um, so he can't get a proper connection on it, and yet that would have that would have cost the game again um, for Everton. So it is. It's just I don't think Pickford has ever stopped making good saves, Josh. I think he is a keeper who makes good saves, but. As you said, they, you know they, they kind of become redundant when when you're making these kind of mistakes or letting in fairly easy efforts. Um, yeah, so it's <laughs> it feels like we're no kind of better off with Pickford. It's you know it yeah. feels like we have really advanced. We're still in the same position we were at the start of the season. Yeah, I mean I tweeted the uh, the screenshot of the actual Van Dyke moments during the game with the and I captioned it just. This sums him up as a player, and I think the fact that it sums him up as a player it epitomizes it really because it it's technically nothing really to do with goalkeeping. The actual mm. image, the actual image is just to do with an absolutely mad decision, as you said, reckless, and mm. you know not really thought through sort of thing. And I think that that sums him up as a player almost more than his actual goalkeeping, which is. What, what he's in the team to do. Uh, he's an odd sort of player. I think in the past year, though, his I think the the, the issue with his, his lack of progress is in the past year or so, the whole saving aspect of his game has has been saving him as a player less because he's it, his save percentage last year, I think, was the second worst in the league ahead of only uh, Kepa. Um, and he was conceding... A few more goals than normal. So I think in in recent times, you've been coupling the mad decision making with a, a lack of saves, really, which is becoming a bit the, the overwhelming problem with him. Mm. But against Liverpool, it was it was back to I suppose the old Pickford, which is 
still a bad decision making. But the reflex, the reflex saves, which look quite impressive. Yeah, yeah, I think he's. Uh, I mean, obviously at the moment he's massively out of form, under pressure, confidence is low. So you know we're not, um, we're probably seeing a, a kind of worse version of an already struggling keeper. Maybe we get some of that, you know, confidence back and the line lights off him for a while. He might find better form, but we'll we'll have to wait and see. We'll um, we'll move on from Pickford because I think everyone's sick of obviously talking about some different reasons. Um, we'll talk about some of the better performers on the day. Um, you know, the, the kind of players really that we feel are cut out for these bigger matches against the top opposition because there were a few candidates. Um, a real couple of names off I have Josh. Uh, I thought James Rodriguez looked really good again. Um, big game for Calvert Lewin. Thought, you know, he obviously scores a big goal, um, a good goal as well. Luca Dean. Uh, Luca Dean looked brilliant again. And then Michael Keane, probably for me. I think, you know, I haven't been Michael Keane's biggest fan at all. I think he hasn't always had the, uh, from the outside looking in, he hasn't always had that psychological strength. Uh, confidence can normally affect his performances, but this season he's been fantastic. Um, looks like Evans' best defender. But um, anyone that impressed you on the day? Hammers was the player for me. Mm. I mean, I, I talked about him before the game in the preview, and he, he was the player I was concerned about because I've wrote about him, I've watched a fair bit of him. And I think a lot of what Everton do, a lot of Everton's attack runs runs through him, whether it's him directly shooting, whether it's him directly creating shots for others, or whether it's him just moving Everton up the field. Mm. He's, he's involved in quite a lot, and he's got that bit of status, if you like, that bit of quality, and that bit of almost unpredictability that can cause problems for the defence. And I did get to a point whereby when you know when I was watching the game, every time he got the ball, I was kind of willing somebody to just close him down so that he doesn't have time and space to lift his head, spot some sort of opening, and execute basically. And yeah. I said before the game that um in the podcast, along the lines of like I have a vision of him switching the play to Richarlison or Lucas Dean and it resulting in some kind of either overlap or, or cross into the box and Everton score from it. That Because obviously the way Liverpool defend, we shuffle over to one side of the pitch. Mm. So I thought his switches could pose a bit of an issue for Liverpool. And he, he was, I think, one or two occasions where it did happen. He was, one of the switches was ridiculous, I remember it. Um, the, the angle that it managed to catch. And then I think Dean put a cross in. I think Richarlison hit the post from ahead mm. that it might have been. Um, so he, he was the major threat throughout for me. I think, as you said, Lucas Dean was quality. Calvert-Lewin, I think the maturity that he's catching at the minute is really impressive. As I said before, you know, he's developing into quite a complete all-round striker with no weaknesses, really. Yeah. Um, it would have been see, interesting to see Van Dijk stay on the pitch, to be honest, because I think he's one of the few strikers in the league who can challenge him aerially. Uh, but yeah, I think there was a few standouts having the performance. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, but it, I agree with that. It would have been interesting to see them two go at it because obviously, I think, uh, and off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure Van Dyke's a little bit taller. I could be wrong, but I think he's a little bit taller. But um, I think Calvary. he's taller and bulkier and stronger. Yeah. But Calvert yeah. just seems to have this leap. This that's leap, like, 
<laughs> I was going to say like some sort of animal there, but I thought, no, nah, I'll, I'll up the against that. <laughs> um, but it's the, the player that comes to mind who has a similar leap is Cristiano Ronaldo, and you know that's 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 some praise. Yeah, no, he's the player I think of as well because um, the leap is fantastic. I thought it was a really good leap against for his goal didn't really give anyone a chance. But um, yeah, briefly just talk on Hammers in that game. You know, it's interesting that you're saying about really wanting to see players close them down from a Liverpool perspective because what I think he does so well, he does everything that you said. He gets you up the pitch, he creates things. I pointed out before last week that he directly been involved um, in eight of Evans' 12 league goals. Well, obviously, after the derby, that's now 10 of the 14 league goals because he assists the uh, Michael Keane header and then it is through ball to Dean who then crosses it to Calvert-Lewin for the for the equaliser. Um, but yeah, just on the point of trying to close him down, I think what he does really well is he just seems to be able to evade challenges. And he, he always seems to just be um, one step ahead of t- other, other opposition players. And bearing in mind, you're playing Liverpool here, who are, you know, played at the at the top for a while now, you know, played in massive games against the best of the best. And he just didn't look out of place. He, he, it kind of made me think he could play for it. Forget the tactical intricacies of each team, just as a sweeping statement. I think he could play for any team in Europe. You know, there could be a place for them. Um, I think he's that good. And I'm just having a look at his numbers now while we're chatting. And he had 55 touches in the game. Um, you know, all three of his dribbles were successful. They only haven't played to have 100% success rate. And uh, he was dispossessed once in the whole game, which I think is really impressive, to be honest with you. Um, it just shows how difficult he is to try and really take the ball off once he's in possession. And not only is he difficult to dispossess, but then he also makes things happen with it. He's got genuine output. Yeah, I mean, before he came to England, I can't really explain why I had this perception of him. But I always thought he was a bit of a, um, maybe a Deli Alley type of, mm-hmm. of number 10 who was kind of like inclined to run beyond the striker take plenty of shots from outside the box, score goals. I didn't actually, I wasn't actually aware he was this creative. I think that's, that's been the most impressive thing for me. Obviously, I, when he when he first moved and stuff, and I was looking at his numbers, mm. I picked up on, I think I mentioned it a few episodes ago, I picked up on his, the, the number of key passes he makes mm. and has made throughout the course of his career. I think he averages, for those that, that aren't aware, a key pass is a pass that leads to a shot. I think throughout the course of his career, every season he averages at least three three key passes per ninety, which is a uh, you know up upwards of the Bruyne levels. I think when we when we looked at it, mm-hmm. um, I think that's that's been the thing that I've been most impressed with. Just just how creative he is, mm-hmm. the openings he can see, and how he can execute passes into those openings. It, that, mm. That's what impressed me most. Obviously, he still has to score and threat to shoot and threat. Um, and he's taking set pieces for everyone and benefiting from them. But just, just his open play creativity and what he's able to do with the ball at his feet is something that I, I wasn't previously aware he was he was that good at. Like, if you think of like a Deli Alley or a, you know, a player in that mould, do you think of any other players who were like that? Play, number 10 types who were, who were more goal-focused. I'm trying to think of a few. No, um, maybe like a, a bit of a Wesley Schneider sort of player, mm. um, but he, he, what I'm I guess what I'm trying to say is just 
Hammers has got the, the more of a creative side than I was previously aware of before he came to England. Mm. Um, I think that's been his most impressive thing for me. Yeah, it's. Um, I'm just going to park that to one side actually because we can come back to that in a bit because uh, I think it's a really good point. He's he is really creative and he's got a, a ton of output, which is um, something that we've said in in pre you know last season. You know, Everton have really kind of lacked that real creativity and and output. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put that to one side because we'll we'll bring that back out shortly when we when we look ahead to the next game. But I couldn't move on, Josh, without maybe just talking about some of the players that um I think kind of struggled in this environment, i.e., you know, against a really competitive team in a big game. You know, we, we talked about Pickford already, but another one for me. Um, I, maybe, <laughs> I am I am concerned about this actually because I was speaking to a mate of mine and I, I said, Oh, I'm just this was yesterday. I said, Oh, I'm just doing a little agenda for uh, analyzing Everton show. And um he said about this player, and he said, You're not gonna give him down the banks again, are you? Um I'm starting to think I'm I'm worried I'm building the reputation, but I do think it's warranted, and it was uh, it was Andre Gomez. Um, yeah, that's the player yeah. I had in mind as well. <laughs> but as I say, I, I, there's a reason why. Let, let me be clear. I, I don't dislike Gomez as a as a person in the squad. You know, I think he's he's proven himself as someone who's really um, taken to the club. You know, he, he makes a lot of effort with fans and all that. I really like that. I do also think he he has something to offer. I was actually praising him on this show a few weeks ago. Um, so you know, it's not as if I'm I'm saying he's the worst play in the world, but I just think in this particular game, he he struggled a little bit in my opinion. Now I had a quick look at the numbers and he was deep dispossessed three times, which was the joint highest with Calvert Lewin. Although you know, obviously in the case of Calvert Lewin, he's playing pretty much exclusively in the opposition's half. So you know, I don't think that it, I think that looks worse on Gomez than it does Calvert Lewin. Um, He'll, I think he'll, he, was, he attempted two dribbles in the game, both failed, dispossessed. Um, but they're just quantifiable stuff. They're just stuff we can quantify in the numbers. I think if you watched the game, for me, he always looked like he needed an extra touch or he needed a second longer on the ball. But against the best side, you just can't do that. Um, and it makes you think he's, he's not someone who can really play in these games and he's probably better suited to those easier fixtures at home against, you know, bottom half teams where you're going to see a lot of the ball dominate and, you know, have a lot of time on the ball. I think that's his kind of game. But I think for me, I, I've, I'm i of the opinion now that Gomez can't really compete in these games. Yeah, obviously I don't want to be too harsh, but... I I agree. I mean, I was obviously watching the match as a Liverpool fan, and I, and I personally felt quite safe when he was on the ball. Um, I didn't feel like Liverpool were going to get punished. I felt like we were probably going to give the ball away. Um, and obviously, you can't capture Everton in the numbers, particularly when it's a central midfielder who doesn't tend to have a much output anyway. Mm. Um, but I think just a few little areas, like it's, it, it's the most fouls he's made in a game this season. That suggests he's maybe a second off the pace. Sort and of that's frustrating as anything, by the way. You know, some people say, oh, it's tactical. I'm not, I'm not saying one or two won't be tactical, but a lot of the time he does look off the pace, and especially when you're trying to press a team. You know, 
it's it's important that you don't give away the file because you basically hit the reset button on the press, you know, and then yeah. the opposition have an opportunity then to kind of um, reorganise, don't they? Yeah. Obviously, you got booked um, only attempted 25 passes in the game, which is as low as this season, which obviously relates to the fact that Liverpool are more dominant than any, any other of Evans opponents. Um, but, you know, it's worth mentioning, I suppose, in terms of carrying the ball, progressive carries, you know, zero. He did assist one shot, actually, but I don't know. <laughs> I think in terms of his performance, I, I do think he was... He showed up as a struggling more than any other player. I think it wasn't absolutely detrimental. I don't think, but in terms of adding value versus taking away value in the game, I, I certainly don't think he added any value. You know, obviously there's all these all these new metrics, isn't he, in terms of like goals added and stuff like that, and rather than expected goals, which focuses on shots, there's metrics that are starting to be created to do with every single action in a game and what that does for the score and potential of a team, whether it's increased the likelihood of a goal happening in the next 15 seconds, whether it's decreased the likelihood of a goal happening in the next 15 seconds. And I think Gomez has probably had quite a negative game there in, in that mm. capacity. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We'll, we'll, we'll round off the derby there because... Um... I think it's a good sign to do so. But yeah, it was a, all in all, it was a, a what was that? Good riddance. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm glad there isn't another one for a little while at least. But yeah, good point, all things considered. Um, but there was some bad news and that was that, you know, James Rodriguez, who we've just been raving about again, like we do every week. Um, it's come out that he actually picked up an injury in that game and is going to be out for this weekend against Southampton. Now, bear in mind that Everton are also without Richarlison through the suspension uh, from last weekend, and Seamus Coleman as well, who's, you know, despite getting on a little bit, has made a good start to the campaign. So there's, there's three big players out this, this weekend, Josh. Um, and it's going to be tough to replace them, especially uh, Rodriguez, isn't it? Yeah, well, this this is one of the reasons why I uh, maybe wasn't as ambitious as you um, when it comes to predicting Everton's final position in the season, because this sort of thing will happen over the course of the campaign. Mm. And although um, Decore, you know, James and Alan have made a, a big difference to Everton's ability to compete, particularly in the middle of the park, and particularly when it comes to giving the attack a bit of a boost in James's case. You are going to be without these players every now and then, unless they're just super fit, um, and that 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 would result in Everton reverting back to in sort of closer to the Everton we knew last season. Um, my prediction, I think, was for Everton to to finish eighth. I think it was, wasn't it? Mm. Um, I'm still going to be a little bit stubborn and stick with that at the minute. I, I am. Oh, there's, 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 brave, a there's a few doubts there. I'll be honest, especially with Hamish. Because Hamas has had more than the thoughts he would, to be honest. Mm. But these, these, this is going to be the test. Perhaps even more so than the Liverpool game, because mm. you're not going to, considering Hamas's availability throughout his career. There's probably going to be a few games he's going to miss over the course of the season as a result of a knock that maybe, if Calvert Lewin got the same knock, 
Calvert-Lewin will probably be available. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see how Everton cope here, particularly in attack. Um, because I think this is this is a team, obviously, when it comes to Southampton, at least we're not talking about them yet, but when it comes to who Everton are facing, it's a team that Everton would have benefited from a really good, penetrative, incisive passer sort mm-hmm. of thing. And they're not going to have that really now that Hamas is out. Yeah, definitely. It's, it is a big blow. Um, I mentioned it yesterday, but Everton have had 62 shots so far this season and James Rodriguez has registered 27 shot creating actions. So, you know, it's, it's roughly 44% of their shots are coming directly through him. He does seem to be integral to everything, everything that Everton have done so far going forward. Um, okay, they've, they've kind of coped without him in, in some of the... Um, League Cup fixtures against lower league opposition. Oh, they, they scored, well, I think it was a, I'm not sure how many they scored, but it was a fair few. Um, oh, yeah, it was eight goals in two games. So, you know, there were still goals there without them, but this is a Premier League fixture um, and it could be a lot more difficult without them. Um, yeah, and then even for Charleston, Josh, I think is a blow as well because Richarlison seems to be. He just, from that left, he seems to be the more kind of, especially with James, who, who tends to create more. James, uh, Richarlison seems to be more penetrative from coming in from wide positions. And um, that left flank does seem to be, even though James is on the right, it's the left that seems to be often the most dangerous because that, that seems to be the, the side that completes attacks almost. Um, and without Richarlison on there, it is going to be interesting to see how how the dynamic dynamics of that side and how the intricacies of just how Everton build the attacks is going to be going to be influenced. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned earlier in the season. I think that that I really like that you know the balance, the dynamic that's been that's been created as a result of the forty-three system and Hammers being inclined to cut inside from the the right-hand side into a, maybe a bit of a number ten position, while the Charleston pushes on and almost becomes. A little bit of a second striker almost. Mm. Um he's only actually taken three more shots than Hammers this season, which I'm a little bit surprised about. Yeah. Um, fifteen, is it? Fifteen, yeah, compared to mm. Hammers' twelve, but I'm gonna get up the locations now because I'd assume the Charlesons are much closer to goal and inside the box. Whereas I think Hammers is more inclined to basically have a goal from, from long range, considering his quality. Yeah. It's worth pointing out, yeah, that um Richarlison fifteen is the second highest in the team behind, you know, obviously uh, Calvert Lewin, who's had the most shots of anyone so far this season. Yeah, so six of Hammers's have been from outside the box. So that's that's basically half of the shots. Whereas with Richarlison, um, four from outside the box, and obviously he's taken three more in total. So there's certainly a greater percentage of Richarlison's being. Kind of like as he's concluding the move, if you like, as he's kind of finishing off the move and trying to put the ball in the back of the net. Whereas it looks like Hammers is more inclined to shoot when maybe there isn't an opening for him to find. So he's just kind of letting fly really from about 25 yards every now and then. Hmm. Um, I think he has scored, scored one from outside the box already, hasn't he? Yeah, against uh, West Rom, I think it was his first goal uh, at Goodison. No, I think it was first goal of the season, actually. Yeah, it was a good strike just before half time. So he has he has banged one in from yeah, there. Yeah, it was. 
Mm, uh, yeah. on, on his numbers there, though, I, I'd look at them before. And um, e- even just in terms of expected goals and expected assists per 90 that Everton create as a team, he's responsible for about, about 24% of that. And that's, you know, XG and XA, sorry, ex- expected goals and expected assists, they're both solely related to shots. So that, that's not even really considering what he's doing in terms of constructing moves. Like he's he's twenty eight twenty eight he's he's top of the division for um, switches of play, which I think we've mentioned. He's at he's at twenty eight so far. That now separates him from John Joe Shelby. I think we mentioned last week he was level mm. with Muslim. That separates him now. Um, so it it, it is going to be quite a loss to be honest. Um, it's going to be interesting to see who Angelotti uses in his place, whether he keeps the same formation and just tries to go with different personnel sort of thing. Yeah, it's a really good point. We should probably talk about it briefly now. Um, assuming he does keep the same formation, we don't know if he will, um, because I don't know if anyone can truly kind of replicate what James does. Um, but we if we maybe look at Richardson replacing him initially. There's a few candidates, and you've got a uh, we might come in, Anthony Gordon, um, Bernard. I think they're they're the three main candidates, and. For me personally, I'm kind of inclined more to see sitting on the left, Anthony Gordon, because from what I've seen of him so far, um, he I really like him. He's very, very direct. Um, he, he offers genuine threat. I mean, this season we've only got uh, two Carabao Cup fixtures to kind of look at, and they obviously come against Salford and Fleetwood. Um, but he took a combined... I've gone over to White Scout for this data now. Um, he took nine shots across two games, uh, two of which were on target. Um, he, he he had four shot assists. Um, he was he averaged across both games uh, just under seven dribbles, about a fifty percent success rate, and then um, just coming up to I think it was a combined total of fifteen touches in the opposition's penalty area. And then you've got a uh, combined, what was it, 11 progressive runs across two, both games as well. So he he comes across, doesn't he, as a, and, and we've seen it as well, he's a, a very direct, skillful player who does seem to both create and offer a goal threat. Yeah, I'm glad you've said that, to be honest, because I, I haven't seen as much of him as, as, as you have probably. Mm. But the perception I had of him was that he was quite a direct player, um, quite of in comparison to Bernard or Iwobi sort of thing. So, you know, in, in terms of what Ancelotti should do, the, the way I looked at it was see, see what happens almost when you keep the exact same system, but you put Gordon in place of Richarlison and Iwobi in place of Hamas. I think that's what I'd say, mm-hmm. simply because I think there's, there's definite differences, particularly between Awobi and Hammers, but I'd still label Awobi as a bit of a passer. Um, likes to construct moves, likes to come deeper, unlikely to run in behind. Um, the only difference to Hammers is I think Awobi is right footed. Hammers is left. That's a bit of an issue. Mm. But in terms of Gordon on the left, I do think he's vaguely similar to a Charleston in terms of threatening in behind, being direct maybe being better suited to finishing off moves and stuff. 
So I think that's probably what I'd do. I'd, I'd probably keep the keep everything the same and put Iwobi in James's role and see how he interprets it, see how he operates as, as the team's kind of creative spark who's who's allowed to take a few risks on the ball and you know the deploy Gordon as as Richarlison and kind of see what happens almost a bit of an experiment I know it's not ideal because you're experimenting mm. in the Premier League and you're top of the league and all that sort of stuff you want to stay there but I think to to go, to, to move your formation around to shift your formation um I'm not sure it sends the best message really yeah, no, I, I mate, I, I totally agree with that. Actually, um, and I, I think it's strange because just say you've got Gordon on the left, there's two options, isn't there? There's a Wobie on the right or Bernard, and I, I think a lot of people would probably fancy Bernard um, to go in there. Um, but I don't know for for me, Bernard. I think he could do a job there, but I'd probably be inclined personally to see. I will be going just because I think he's looked fairly decent this season, and I do think he he has more of potential to offer more output. Um, you know, kind of in and around the final, final third, where I feel like Bernard has often looked silky. But I think we've actually said this before, haven't we, Josh? With Bernard, where he's a he's a good good technical player, but he just seems to lack any kind of real. You know, contribution in the final third. He he just doesn't seem to appreciate you know the bulk of his playing times coming on other Everton sides, and this one's firing on all cylinders. But I just think Bernard uh, we definitely has more potential to to kind of contribute. Um, you know, yeah, in that think, second third. I think I see Awobi as as a more of a risk taker than than Bernard. I think mm. Bernard's a, a bit more of a safer player, incredibly technical. I would almost interpret the role of Bernard in the squad a bit like I would interpret um, Lallana at Liverpool. Lallana seemed to come on for, for Liverpool last season. Obviously, I'm a Liverpool fan. Apologies to the Blues over there. I don't want to hear this. But um, as a Liverpool fan, Lallana came on in game for Liverpool when, when Liverpool just couldn't really get a foothold on the ball almost, when, when the ball was just consistently pinballing everywhere. Lallana is so technical and so two-footed and so good in little tight spaces that he just offered Liverpool a bit of glue almost when we're, when we're playing opponents that are really in your face, like an Everton, like a Man United away, a um, few Champions League games maybe. When you're facing those teams, Liverpool benefited from a Lallana type who's able to just keep the ball and, as I said, just offer a bit of glue. And I think Bernard's that type of player, whereas a Wobie for me, is a bit more, bit more of a threat, a bit more likely to produce something that's going to lead to a goal. I think he's he's always been a keen player when it comes to playing through passes, through balls. Mm. He's not his success rate has never been great with them, but the fact he's keen when it comes to attempting them, and you're coming up against Southampton, which we will get to. Mm. I just feel like it's it 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 would be the match where I test the Wobie. I think. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that's I think that's spot on, especially because it has the potential. We'll move on to Southampton now, but it has the potential to be a game where Everton needs to be quite uh, direct, don't they? In terms of in terms of going from once once you beat a press, because we know Southampton press a lot. Once you beat that, it's about getting to, into that kind of um, into their into their half and making things happen quickly. Um, 
so I'd be inclined to agree. But we'll we'll wait and see. We'll we'll briefly talk about Southampton now because so far they've they've won one, drew one, lost two. So it's a it's a bit I guess you'd call it an indifferent start to the season. Um, got some numbers on the here that they rank thirteenth in the uh, in the table for shots attempted. Second for shots against, which which I thought was quite interesting. I uh, got them tenth for XG, sixth for um, expected goals against. You know, it's early days, only five games in, but they look like a side who uh, maybe looking fairly average in attack, but pretty decent in defence. Um, but then they're the high pressing side. They've got the lowest PPDA in the Premier League so far. I think they had the lowest PPDA last season as well. For anyone who doesn't know PPDA, passes per defensive action, it's basically just a uh, a measurement of a team's press and how many passes they allow for the opposition to take before looking to actively win the ball back. Um, through a lot of that, you're there, there, Josh. But just in terms of a package, how do you how do you see Southampton? Well, this, this was written in the agenda, wasn't it? And I, when I asked myself the question, I, I was a little bit stumped <laughs> mm-hmm. because I'm not, I'm not really sure, and I'm not really sure what I think of them. To be honest, it it made me think for a little bit. I think at the minute they just certainly by the numbers and stuff, they they just seem very middle of the road at the minute, very, very okay, in and around tenth in in the division in, by most metrics, and in terms of probably squad quality, player quality. Um, I think there's probably an argument that Harsen was better than tenth in the league in terms of the, the head coaches in charge at different clubs. But yeah, I'm not really sure what I think of them. Um, every now and then they seem to get hammered, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then and then they'll kind of recover their reputation gradually with a few good results, a few steady performances. Danny Ing seems to take whatever he presents us with when it comes to shots. Um, but they're a bit of a um, a bit of an interesting team at the minute. Like you mentioned about the PPDA, they're depressing. I'm pretty sure they were top last season as well. They they are in terms of the depressing side of things. They are the most intense team in the league, even even above Leeds, which is quite interesting. Mm. Last year they were the most intense, so they're, they're keeping that under Harsen Hall. Um, but yeah, I, Gosh, I, I just sorry mate, sorry to cut in, but just quickly on the PPDA side of things. Nothing's ever black and white with football, but as a general kind of um, consensus, you associate a high pressing side with good teams, don't you? Um, well, I know I do anyway. Um, so whenever you see a side that presses quite aggressively, you normally think, "Oh, you know, a good side." But is it is it a good uh, technique of Southampton's, for want of a better term? But it's maybe not the most effective based on league positioning and the results that they pick up? Is it kind of something that, um, I don't know, doesn't, how can I, how can I word this? It doesn't necessarily make them a great side and there's clearly flaws in it. Uh, if you think of that Tottenham game at this season, it felt like the, the, they couldn't really adapt to something else when it wasn't working. You know, Tottenham just seemed to keep getting in with Harry Kane to Son, it just kept happening again and again, and he couldn't seem to adjust. And is that a kind of weakness, I guess, to Southampton? I agree with the the, the last point that you've just said, but um, I think in terms of their approach, Hasenhutl's approach, I actually think it's it should be really well suited 
to the league in terms of teams in the Premier League in the modern day wanting to play football. Um, apologies for taking it back to Liverpool again, but it does come to mind. <laughs> in terms of Jurgen Klopp, this was why his approach kind of worked when it comes to overcoming Bayern in Dortmund. Obviously, Bayern was were dominating the ball. Dortmund were allowed to just stay compact, force them into mistakes and punish them. And I think Southampton's pressing game, it, it's not a pressing game to to keep the ball and to dominate proceedings, really. It's it's a pressing game to kind of create chances through pressing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a consequence of the high pressing that they do, they are prone to getting played through, especially when they come up against quality. And if you, if you think of, if you look at their results this season and how the performances have gone, they have, they have been quite good at, at dominating bad teams almost. Like, I think the first game of the season, they kept Crystal Palace to six shots. And I looked at those shots before. Um, and I think five of them were set pieces, mm-hmm. uh, corners or free kicks. So I think in that game, I think I'm right in saying Palace had one, maximum two shots from open play. They faced West Brom the other week, um, faced only five shots. So I think, which which tends to come in with a high line, by the way, you know, the, the, the whole high pressing game tends to nullify um, shot taken f- from the opposition. If you look at the XG pair shot against, it suggests that Southampton do tend to concede, do do tend to face quite clear cut chances when they do eventually get through on goal, which I think is probably best captured by the Spurs game. Hmm. Uh, every chance they seem to have, they seem, it seems to be a one on one with the keeper. So I think they do have systematic flaws, and I think they have, particularly in defence, <clears throat> players who aren't that good really. So mm. when when you when you're asking them to, when you're presenting such demands on them, they're not really well rounded enough to cope without making the odd massive mistake and without looking a bit stupid every now and then. Mm. But I think so. I think there's positives and negatives there. They, they still seem very. Very young in their developments under Hasenhutl, really, um, mm. and I think the recruitment needs to be a little bit better to to really maximise what they want to do on them. Um, but it, it just feels like early days at the minute with them. I'm not sure it's a weird team at the minute. Yeah, yeah, they are. They are different to kind of they are so difficult to really pigeonhole, I guess. But it will, and one thing I, I just want to flag briefly before we talk, touch on some of their players is um, it will be interesting to see how Everton cope because. Under Ancelotti, Everton are, are kind of playing out from the back and playing it short. You know, I, I've, I've mentioned before, out from goal kicks, they seem to do something quite unique now um, where it's rolled to one centre-backs or they'll roll it to Pickford to carry it out. And they basically, basically seem to be inviting a press on to try and bypass it through possession football, which is, you know, obviously it's a risky tactic, but if it comes off, uh, you tend to wipe out a lot of the opposition in a couple of passes and kind of run in on on goal or run in at the defence and Southampton if you can do it effectively you know they're going to be a good side to do that against because um you know they're going to come in press press hard press fast and if you can if you can play through it like Everton have been doing effectively then you know you you could be given a lot of opportunities to get in behind and, and, and get shots off on goal so it will be interesting to see how Everton kind of cope with that um 
But in terms of, you know, kind of dangerous players for Southampton, um, the obvious one, former Liverpool player, Josh, uh, Danny Ings. I, <laughs> I noticed earlier this week that he scored more goals in his career against Everton than any other side. Uh, I think it's six goals and nine appearances, which doesn't bode well. Um, but, you know, you've got another couple of other players I think I should probably flag as well. Che Adams, I think he's only scored one league goal this season, but he does, based on his XG numbers at least, um, he does seem to get himself in decent positions. He just not doesn't seem to be the best at converting them at the moment. Um, but there's always that risk of you letting players get chances close to your goals, so he needs to be one that's watched. And then... We've got War Prowse, who's dangerous on set pieces. You know, we don't want to be giving too many of them away. I'm talking to you, Andre Gomez. Um, and then Gineppo as well. Gineppo's a weird one, Josh, isn't he? Like he's, he can be quite a tricky customer on his day, but he just hasn't really got that end product just yet, I'd say. Yeah, and he's quite unpredictable, Gineppo. Mm. Um, I do think he's a good player, actually. I think he's a decent buy. I'm not sure how much he paid for him. I, th- yeah, I think it was about around 10 million, maybe from the, the Belgian league, I think they got him from. Mm. Um, so he's quite an unpredictable player, but yeah, I think he's spot on. When you mentioned Danny Ings, I think he's he's the main player, isn't he? If you look at the goals that Southampton have scored this season, he's actually scored fifty percent of them so far. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you could argue that you could almost argue that if you keep Danny Ings from scoring for ninety minutes, you will probably come away with at least a point against this team. I'd probably go as far as saying that to be honest, like last season. He scored, he scored 22 goals in the league. The next player, the next Southampton player, had five. Mm. Um, and then and then five, four, four, three, two. So, you know, he, he kind of does have a big chunk of their attack. Um, I think he's a, a really good player. And when it comes to clinical finishing, when it comes to needing <clears throat> not many shots before you actually score, he is that player. He needs one goal. He needs one shot to find a net, really. Um, and there's not. It, just, it feels like there's not many of those around anymore. To be honest. No, yeah, he's um, he's very much a player who seems to finish their moves and do it effectively. Um, in, in so fact, had, if, if there's any if there's any player around that can rival Calvert Lewin's finishing at the minute in terms of taking your chances when they come, it probably is Danny Ings. To be honest, mm, mm, I'd agree with that definitely. Um, okay, well, we said before, uh, this is very much, I think, the asset test. You know, Everton have faced some tough sides so far, some big games. Um, but in many ways, although it's not a headline grab, I think this is a big game because if Everton could could secure a victory without, you know, two or three of the key players uh, away at a, uh, against a tough opponent then you do start thinking, well, what can Everton achieve this season? Obviously, if, if they don't get the results, then I don't think it's the end of the world. It just means you probably manage expectations a little bit. You do start thinking maybe it's somewhere between 6th and 8th in terms of league finishing this season. But um, we'll have to wait and see. Josh, give me your predictions for the game, please. So I'm going to go for a very scrappy one all, I'm gonna say one all draw. Um, it'd be a one eleven win. It would it not for Danny Ings? I think Danny Ings will get enough of an opportunity 
in enough opportunities in the game over the course of ninety minutes to to find a net. Um, if you think of Liverpool last week, for example, obviously Southampton are nowhere near Liverpool's level, but Liverpool taking twenty two shots. If Southampton get even half of that, Danny Ings is taking a lot of their shots. So I'd ex- I, I just I, I just expect them to score when he when, when he's presented with those shooting opportunities, and I fancy him to to, to bag one. Um, and I think Everton. Obviously, we've mentioned about Hammers and how integral he is to Everton's attack. I mean, Ever- Everton are averaging how many shots per ninety? Um, so- I'm not looking. It's not. T- I don't think it's a lot. It's uh, it's somewhere. It's kind of maybe upper mid table. Yeah, I'm just on it now. So they're averaging as many as twelve point four shots per ninety. Everton, Southampton averaging ten point six. I think Everton probably gonna probably gonna drop to about around maybe ten point six again, like Southampton, or maybe even a little bit lower. Hmm. Uh, without without Hammers providing, um, so I I don't know. It's gonna be a tricky one. It, a one 0 win to Everton is not out of the question at all. Hmm. But I think you're asking a bit much without Hammers and without Richarlison for Everton to score two to get a result. I'm not sure how they do that in this game unless they come up with a, a clever little set piece. So I'm gonna go one all. I think. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's it's an interesting one actually because, and I agree. I think, but I mean, if you look so far, Everton have averaged three point two five goals per competitive game so far with the League Cup games in there, um, but the last six fixtures have produced you know, I think it's three or more goals. So there tends to be goals at both ends. Now you think uh, on that basis, Everton are keeping clean sheets with Danny Ings. Play is you're probably going to concede at least once, so they, they need to score two or more, in my opinion. I said they're averaging three point two five. Um, you, you're probably not going to do that without without the, the likes of Hammers on the pitch. But I do still think Everton could score two goals against this Southampton side, so I am going to go for the two one, a two one Everton victory. Um, if that comes off, I'll be. I must admit, Josh, I'll be getting giddy about this campaign because I do think <laughs> this is a a tough game, all things considered, especially on the back of, you know, Liverpool last weekend. So if that two-one comes off, I'll be I'll be happy. But um, even if Everton don't get a result, I don't think I'll be too disheartened because of the start they've had, and I do think this is a tough one. So out of interest, would would you take a draw? No, um, I wouldn't know just because I think Everton at the top of the table at the moment. Um, so why not just just go for it? You know, what I mean? just go and try and win every game. Um, so on that basis, I wouldn't. But if if you know four o'clock on Sunday it's a draw, I definitely won't be shedding any tears. Put it that way. Yeah. Um, seems like a good good time to round it off, Josh. Uh, thank you as ever. No problem, mate. And uh, thanks to everyone who tuned in. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next week to to chat about. Southampton um, and whoever haven't playing next, which I don't know if they're talking yet. Oh, it's Newcastle away. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll have a chat about that one then. So, cheers, everyone. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.